Hi everyone, Nathan here. This Plus Expenses episode is going out on our main feed because we think it's important to be as public as possible with our support for Black Lives Matter and the ongoing uprisings and protests against police brutality sparked by the murder of George Floyd. Because we don't outline or aim for specific talking points in these episodes, uh, we start in our usual check-in mode before specifically getting into our Black Lives Matter discussion. We thought about cutting up the episode to put that first, but it seems important to capture how a lot of conversations we've been having as white, privileged men, how they go as we try to uplift black voices while staying present and involved in what's going on as bearers of that privilege. We know this podcast isn't a huge platform, but we would like to try and use it to help. And so that's why we're having this conversation. So if you'd like to skip the preliminaries, uh, we get into our Black Lives Matter conversation at about the half hour mark. We ended up with some thoughts directed towards our audience who may be uncomfortable with what's going on, but also unsure about what to do. These start at about the 50 minute mark. We know that listeners to our show hold a broad set of opinions, and we do want to encourage you to tune into the last 15 minutes if your first reaction to us talking about this is just to skip the episode. Um... We understand that everything is a lot right now, and uh, we're just a a drop in the bucket of the outpouring of support, uh, which is amazing. But also, sometimes those of us who aren't involved directly in the struggle feel some pushback against listening to and engaging with these topics. And we want to try and bridge that gap for anyone who maybe is unsure or 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 is looking for uh, an expanded set of ways to grapple with uh, their role in these struggles. Finally, as a podcast built on a show that is based in LA, we will be donating all of our Patreon income from this month and next month at least uh, to the Los Angeles Action Bail Fund. Black Lives Matter LA is currently directing support there. You can find links at blmla.org, and we'll have more links in the show notes for everything that we've uh, discussed in this episode. Uh, We'll have a regular episode uh, talking about the Rockford Files later in the month as well, Uh, but hopefully you'll find something helpful to think about in our conversation here. Um, so stay safe out there and thank you for listening. Let me see if I can, if I make the darker, you look good. Well, it's not so much that as I'm also having a little trouble seeing the screen. Oh, okay, it, fine. There you go. Okay. Um, well, let's talk, let's start off with the good news. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I nice. received my, my spell of the wolf. I didn't realize there was spot gloss. That's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't show up well on uh, photography. No, spot plus. It means it's a nice surprise. I also like that it's on the stars, or at least some yeah. of the stars. Yeah, it's nice. The the uh, yeah, I'm I'm so glad to see, so happy to see them in the wild, if you will. And I cannot, yes, <laughs> and I cannot wait to an appropriate moment when I can celebrate that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the, the the tiniest of sad violins for us who are like right. oh no right. this is a weirdly let me tell you a weird time to try and tell people about my detective murder game yes yes uh i mean now you can be like own a piece of history own own something of the past well um before we get into all of that i have now encountered the uh, hopefully mm-hmm. maybe i'm wrong but the final stress of a kickstarter oh yeah which is when you ship out a whole bunch of product at once mm. a small percentage of that is going to get damaged yeah but because you shipped out a a lot of it all at the same time you're going to get all those complaints at the same time mm-hmm. and have a moment where you think i ruined an entire shipment yeah you know <laughs> And mm-hmm. seeing people show copies online, I'm like, oh, thank God. Like, because uh, obviously the first people to reach out are 
Well, I mean, everyone that's excited to get it is reaching out. But like, if I do the same, if I get a product that I ordered and there's something wrong with it, I contact the person and let them know. Right. And like the early news was four people that had damaged products. And I was like, the trend line on that is straight up until I started seeing other ones online. I was like, oh. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What percentage is this? Yeah. 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 Um, well, so you have that to get through. And then I think you'll have the last bit, which will be, which, which is a trailing long tail that may mm-hmm. be, depending on the size of, of, of the, the backer uh, pool, maybe for a long time, which is people being like, hey, I forgot to fill out my yeah. uh, survey like a <laughs> year after you've. Not just not just the campaigns ended, but like yeah. a year after you have finished everything and you've moved on to different projects, and you get <laughs> these like, "Hey, so I never got my book," or in your yeah. case, "I never got my album cover." And then you go and you look at the survey, and it's like, "Oh, you never filled out your survey." And then you have to very nicely be like, "Well, because you didn't fill out your survey, I wasn't able to send it to you. Can you please give me your address?" Yes. <laughs> and then you don't hear anything for six months. And then you get one from the same person being like, hey, I never got my thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, I, I know a good PI. <laughs> the um, Kickstarter is going to stop me from being able to access my backers. So this is something new to me. And I don't yeah. know if it's because they changed how they do it or if I, it just hasn't come up for me with other projects. Because I recently had like two people contact, actually very nicely being like, oh, I never got around to this yeah. uh, for Input the Perverse. And uh, I think it's two calendar years after your campaign ends. Yeah. Kickstarter no longer allows you to access the backer information. Right. You can request backer information. But that's like a whole formal process where you request it and they restore access to the entire list. So if you need one address for someone who fills yeah. out their survey two years after your campaign <laughs> closed, the Kickstarter support document says contact them individually. Like yeah. you can't just like auto like you can't pull that information out of a spreadsheet like you have to have them give it to you manually. And I think that's like a backer privacy thing, which makes yeah. sense, but it's a pain in the ass. It makes sense and it doesn't. I mean, it, it's weird because part of it is just that I, well, I've got the data. I've got all the data that they've given me so far. I've got their email addresses and names because I've downloaded the backer PDF. Or, uh, uh, Technically, you agree not to keep that data. When you click those boxes, when you go to see yeah. your backer report, one of them, uh, one of them is like, I will not maintain a record of this information past when delivery happens or something like that. <laughs> I'm waiting at least a year. No, yeah, exactly. I <laughs> yeah. think there's like a like understandable good faith record keeping to make yeah. sure you get people what they paid for. Um, but I think that Kickstarter, on some level, either legally or strategically, has yeah. been investing in the backer experience. Yeah. Um, and the privacy stuff is one part of it, which is fine. And the other part is the request and update thing, which you probably didn't see. Did you ever get a message being like, three backers have requested an update? Oh, no, I have seen that, actually. I saw that, um, uh, yeah, a couple times. Which, I mean, that I find more helpful than, like, a public post about it or whatever. <laughs> you mean, like, like, a, like backers... Like being like, hey, where's where's it up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Whatever. Like, I know that like I get into my stuff and then 
forget to notify people that all the business is happening. Also, I don't know what level of of uh, access people really want. Like, right. I know I ignore most Kickstarter updates. I, like, I back a Kickstarter because I want the product, and then I'm just like, let me know when I have to fill out a survey or when right. the, it's delivered, <laughs> which makes me really bad at guessing what customers want mm. because I am not uh, I'm not a good customer. <laughs> <laughs> The requested update thing is like an exact bullseye for my bundle of anxieties. Oh, yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, for, you know, for whatever reason, I had to look up something. So I went to Kickstarter to, you know, through the creator side. And then there's this big red banner that's like, your backers oh, have requested an update. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. <laughs> and then you get an email a couple, like I got an email like a day or two after that. Some of the backers for, it was for, for the second edition uh, for Worldwide Wrestling. Like some of the backers have requested an update. And the email was a slightly, it was phrased slightly less stringently. Yeah. It's not that I don't want to communicate, but it's like when my last thing was, there isn't going to be much to say for the first couple months. I right. will send out a monthly update. Yeah. And I said that sometime, or no, in mid-April. And so it was like the second, the back half of May. And I'm like, if there's nothing much to say and I'll get to you next month, that I I, I give myself the grace to be like, I have till the end of the month. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like every four weeks on the dot, you'll get a thing. I don't know. It's like I'm already stressing out about not having anything to say uh, and putting together the contentless update. Um because those are better than than silence. Plus, I was in the middle of doing art direction. So it was like, once I finished getting this stuff signed off on, I can be like, and, you know, the, the artist has started on this stuff. But I don't want to say that when I'm in the middle of the emails, right? And so, like, all that is happening at the same time. And I'm like, oh, my God. Now I'm getting red banners being like, where's the update? I understand from the backer perspective, but it is it was very stressful for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, it's such a weird business. Yeah, <laughs> it just I feel the same way. I've like I have I have discovered that Kickstarter really, really makes me anxious in that secret way. Right. Mm -hmm. Like where three or four days in uh, you're like, well, I'm like, why the hell do I hate everything? I don't know what's going on. And then like something gets fixed with the Kickstarter. Something happens with the Kickstarter. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I was just waiting for that to be resolved and just like my brain was panicking about it, but not telling me that's what it was panicking about. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know what it is about Kickstarter that does that to me, but yeah, it's it accesses a lot of the uh, I think there's a term for this. I forget what it is, but it's like the, the, the gambling brain, like mm -hmm. all the reward centers that are associated with gambling are also I think we've talked about this before, like watching the number go yeah. up and all that kind of stuff. Um I feel like there must be a term for this, but uh, so all the anxieties that come with that, I feel like is similar. It's like the opposite kind of anxiety that Patreon creates. Yes. <laughs> this is all in the context of our, you know, Patreon. Yeah. People who support us on Patreon will be hearing this. Yes. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> and the anxiety created by Patreon is not a backer related one. It's not from, for me at least, is not yeah. from the people who are contributing. Because my experience generally is that you know, I never hear anyone from Patreon being like, hey, where's my thing? Right. Because right. they didn't buy a specific thing. They, they're they about supporting the artist or the process. Exactly. Uh, which is amazing. Yeah. But Patreon as a platform continues yes. making <laughs> decisions that are very stressful. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, very excited to, to see some wolf spell in the wild. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I read that article you sent me. Yes, the crime reads uh, Nathan Ward by Nathan Ward. I got an email that was like from from one Nathan to another. <laughs> yes, that was great. Uh, and also our our uh, patrons, um, uh, a patron or two, got in touch to to alert us. Uh, about it as well yeah that's a, uh, the article is great um it's really good i know we haven't done the first episode yet but mm-hmm. when he started talking about the first episode and then he started going it i'm like oh this scene this scene <laughs> and then they specifically said that that was the scene that uh uh that they thought sold the show yeah <laughs> it was just like yeah I can see why. Yeah, so this is uh, an article at crimereads.com titled Falling in Love with the Rockford Files All Over Again. Yeah. And we're talking about it just because it actually went up the day before we we recorded this. So, uh, you know, we got a couple couple notes about it. And big thanks to Nathan Ward for keeping us in the loop and for mentioning us in the column, which is the yes. other uh, remarkable thing. But it's, I mean, it's pretty long and it's pretty... I like Good. his his um his conceptual Angel spinoff show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where you just watch the thirty seven episodes that have Angel in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I mean, that's a a really kind of a fun approach to a body of work like this, right? Like mm-hmm. to to be like, okay, uh, not you don't have to re edit episodes, just re edit the order or the ones you see. Right. I know people have done that with Star Wars probably still are doing that with star wars yeah where it's like here's the list of like the good ones <laughs> yeah over here we just finished watching the first two seasons of the land of the law speaking of the good ones mm-hmm. and uh it's clear to me that episodes from the second season are a little out of order they like some of them reference things or forget to reference things that that uh clearly have happened it's not like a giant continuity show but it does have some continuity and it made me think of that too like wanting to figure out what the original intended order was and and maybe not rewatch them again because i've rewatched them now enough times for an adult mm-hmm. who doesn't have kids <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah uh there's um, a bunch of television shows that I like from the past that were aired in really bad orders or out of order or whatever that uh, you can go to fan sites now and look up the correct order mm. and to take that and make it more intentional and, yeah. and not just like what did the original creators intend but to be like what what, what experience do I want from it. Mm. Uh, is is it uh, an an interesting endeavor? I saw something. This was a while ago now, but something going around on on Twitter that was like this. This was one crisis ago, an early lockdown, um, and it was like a I forget what it's called, but there's the there's a name for the eighty um, percent of everything is crap. Oh yeah, it's the Sturgeon's Law. Yeah, Sturgeon's Law. So it was this uh, someone who was positing a Sturgeon's Law binge system. That, that scales to whatever. So, you know, the top 20% of a good show is better than the bottom 80% of the good show, right? Right. So yeah. their thing was, I want to, like, catch up on all this TV I haven't seen. So uh, the system was something along the lines of, like, watch the, the pilot or first episode or whatever and the last episode. Um, and then in between, rank them. Uh, I think they're going by IMDb ratings. But, like, rank them on a per episode basis, drop the bottom 80% based on those ratings. And then if there's individual episodes that are like 
generally considered must-sees, even if they're not in that top. Like, right. add that in as well. Um, so out of a 60-episode series, uh, quick, Epi, what's 20% of 60? <laughs> That's 12. 12? Is it? Yes. Yes! Nice. So say 12 plus a couple episodes. So it's like, yeah. of the 60-episode series, I'll watch 15 episodes, the best 15 episodes, and that gets me... At least 80% of the way to knowing the series, yes. right? To like getting what <laughs> there is to get out of it. I don't know how successful that is, but uh, I thought that was a fun approach, um, you know, if you're not a completionist. I mean, there's definitely a thing about how we interact with fiction where uh, I kind of got into this a little bit, but there's the way fiction is presented, which is often very enjoyable. And we could talk about that, uh, like, you know, how a scene is shot or how somebody acts something out or, yeah. uh, you know, like uh, how the set is dressed or, or whatever. But then there's also the plot mm-hmm. and your like deeply ingrained human curiosity about what happens next. And uh, a lot of shows, I don't want to say, I, I, I almost said prey upon that, but what I mean is rely upon that. I should, yeah. I should you know, I mean, this is what soap operas or the Game of Thrones does mm-hmm. uh, when, when it's done to like a greater extent where it's like, we'll bring you to a point where you're like, what, what'll happen next? And then right. we'll deny you that for a bit. So you come back for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine and friend of the show, uh, Sam, mm-hmm. um, he does that. He does that with shows where he'll get to a point and he's like, okay, I'm, I'm now I'm just going to read the Wikipedia mm-hmm. to find out because, and I think it's partly because of that. I mean, I'm now I'm putting, words into his mouth and i shouldn't do that but i if i were to do that it would be this urge to scratch that itch to find out like okay well actually i do do that i do that all the time with weirdo horror movies Mm. and sci-fi movies where like you get done and you're like i really enjoyed that and i don't know what that was about so now (laughs) i'm just going to go online and read a bunch of stuff that talks about what the intentions were or fan theories about it but I guess what what's interesting about what Sam does is he does it as a again following that Sturgeon's Law bit, like as a way to just relieve himself of having to get through all of it. Right. All right. I've I I I get it now. If I just read summaries or plot summaries, I can understand mm-hmm. and and also probably visualize right. how the rest of it's going to end up. Yeah, I'm not so interested in seeing the moment to moment of the rest of the story, but eh, how does it come out in the end? Yeah. And sometimes, like, my experience as a kid, uh, I it took me a while to see E.T. in theaters. Mm-hmm. I think it actually had to be a second run before my family saw E.T. Can I do a quick side note uh, that one of my favorite parts of this article... Oh, yes. <laughs> ...is, uh, and I quote... Run by two young gamers who found the show decades after its network reign. Um, so I hope you felt felt seen. Yeah. <laughs> Not only did I read that, but I went and sorry, Nathan Ward. I looked you up, found out, and you you're older than me, so con- congrats. Uh, I am a young gamer. Uh, <laughs> that that works. Uh, I'm holding on to every one of those straws that that remains in my grasp. <laughs> And I will finish out the sentence because it's still it's it's extremely good. In some ways, their project resembles paleontologists studying the lost age when long, high-powered vehicles roam the earth in California car chases. Yes, that's very true. One hundred percent accurate. <laughs> yes, I was a very young kid when uh, Rock Profiles was first on, so uh, it definitely feels like the paleontology. Sure, yeah, yeah, like yeah. like I, rem- I I vaguely remember that world. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, just... no, that's, that's absolutely... What was I... Uh, as a kid watching TV? Uh, E.T., the movie E.T. And some friends explained it to me, and it sounded terrifying, which may have been why it took so long to see mm-hmm. it. I, this young gamer is now going to tell you about what it was like when it was old, olden days. You couldn't stream videos or <laughs> like you had to wait for movies to come back to mm-hmm. the, especially in my non-cable household. But anyways, the point is friends explained the movie to me and I had a completely different understanding of how that movie was. So when I saw it, I did not like it. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I was like, this is nowhere near as good as the horrific thing that was going on inside my right. brain uh, based on firsthand accounts of kids who didn't quite understand E.T. Sure, sure. You know? But I've, I've grown to enjoy E.T. I'm not going to be I'm not a monster. <laughs> I only saw I mean, I saw it when I was a kid, probably on TV, like on a movie night special or something. Yeah. Uh, and I really only remembered a couple images so I really feel like I've only really seen it recently. Like we watched it a couple of years ago, maybe um, in its entirety. That that again felt a little bit like looking into a window to the past, which I think a lot of the Spielberg '80s stuff kind yeah. of is. My, my nostalgia is for movies that are nostalgia for movies <laughs> thirty years before. Right. Well, it didn't feel nostalgic to me in terms of my connection to that time. It was more yeah. like, uh, like I 100% see why this movie has the place it has in the cultural canon. Yeah. Um, and it is good, but it's also like just not how movies are made anymore. Yeah. You know? So I don't have like, a, I don't have that like uh, emotional connection like I do to like Jurassic Park, right? Where like right. I saw that when I was a kid, when I was old enough to understand it and have an attachment and have those like like i was terrified of moments in that movie uh, yeah because they're scary uh and also it's basically a thriller which i think people kind of forget um (laughs) (laughs) uh, there's a lot of setup and then it's like a monster movie thriller and then you know there's the end yes but like so those emotions right i i always associate with jurassic park like i will yeah and it doesn't feel old to me um especially because the effects that era of practical effects ages so much better than that era of digital effects right so oh yeah no absolutely the digital effects around that time were there was like t2 which was Mm -hmm. good and then everything else (laughs) yeah and even t2 if you watch it now it's like yeah, that was made in like because that's a that's like eight, that's like eighty nine or something. Is that true? Hey, we can't have one of these without an IMDb. Right. But yeah, so like T two, even that now looks like old effects, even though it looked pretty good all the way until like I was in high school, at least I think. Yeah, T two is ninety one, and Jurassic Park was uh, I think ninety four, unless I've been misremembering that my entire life. Ninety three. Ninety three. Okay. In between that, they had Lawnmower Man. So if you mm. want to know the state of the art in special effects. One more, man. <laughs> anyway, it's something I've been thinking about. And this is like, I don't know. Welcome to Nathan's parent, new parenthood corner. Oh, um, yes. Feel free to skip if this is boring. Uh, <laughs> Epi, you don't have the choice, but the rest of you. Yeah, well, that's fine. But no, but it's something that's on my mind as like, you know, knock on wood. As we get to later years, you know, our our baby starts growing up and starts to be able to watch things this is years off now right um right but i still think about like a is she going to be interested in any of this stuff like maybe not yeah right uh but assuming that this is you know someone who's going to want to watch movies uh where do you even begin <laughs> and like 
how different is the context um, yeah. for the movies that I'm like, oh, here's the must watch movies. It's just going to be so I feel like, you know, the time from 93 to 2023, let's say. Yeah, it's 30 years like that's that's a long ass time. <laughs> We have a subscription to the Criterion channel Mm -hmm. and on it, there was an interview with Patton Oswalt and he describes when he and his friends first, you know, they had kids and they went out and find found an original print of the original Star Wars. Mm -hmm. As he describes it, I think he said it didn't even have a new hope written as the 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 subtitle or whatever so like this is like the original star wars and they did a screening and he talked about how at that screening half the kids were locked in wonder and the other half were bored just completely bored with it (laughs) and just saying that like because he's a huge movie fan and just how he doesn't want to be the the football dad who's like you gotta play football like you gotta enjoy these films Mm -hmm. i do not have kids but i do think you know if I was a father, one of my big failings would have been that I would have imposed my tastes on my kids so mm-hmm. draconianly <laughs> without without thinking about it, without even just just being like, well, clearly we're going to watch the Rockford Files, kids. That's what we're going to do. Well, that's the thing. It's like, how? yeah, what what stuff is going to end up like, oh, this is something my dad likes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There's also this whole kind of vetting process. I, I mean, for me, for like watching movies now yeah. where I'm like, all right, when was this movie made? How likely is it to be like full of like homophobic content and like yeah, terrible yeah. stereotypes? Like some stuff has not aged well. <laughs> like there's some stuff that I watch now or that I have I've rewatched where I'm like, oh, I remember how some of this content I just didn't even notice when I first saw this when I was a teenager right. or whatever. And now I'm like, Ooh, yeah, no, this isn't, this movie isn't good enough to be worth trying to like explain why it has this stuff in it. Cause that was just right. the cultural swamp that everything was in at that time. It's no surprise to viewers or listeners uh, that I, uh, engage in a lot of the 70s and early 80s media um for instance we've we've started watching some Cagney and Lacey mm-hmm. uh this is a cop show when right now as a country we are really closely examining what purpose if any cops serve in right. society yeah and this show is uh we I've only seen a few episodes in it but it has tackled some some difficult issues unrelated to the, the current issues like the sexism issues of the time uh I should I mean of the time as if they disappeared <laughs> but uh like well very a specific flavor of sexism from the time sure. right like there was an episode where all of the the male cops were going to one of the male cops home for a uh baby shower I think and the Cagney and Lacey weren't invited because the women at home were worried that Cagney and Lacey were being the two women in an all male workplace were trying to steal their husbands from them. Hmm. <laughs> and it's just like that feels so out of date now. Yeah. <laughs> but also probably was part of a national discussion back then. <laughs> Uh, like I see what you're doing, but you're grappling in, with this issue in a way that it, the grappling itself is of its time. Uh, but like the show does some some really interesting things that way. But also, I'm always waiting for some moment for it to do the really really bad take. Sure, because a lot of those old shows, when you look at them and you're watching them and you're enjoying them and you're going along, and then suddenly they may even have their heart in the right place, and it's just the really bad take, and you're like, oh yeah, well that happened. 
I guess we don't get here without that happening. So, right. and I think there's something to like part of being a part of being an informed media consumer, whatever that means, or like part of engaging with what you watch as opposed to yeah. just having it be noise is sometimes being like, wow, this didn't work. Yeah. And like, I can appreciate other things about this, even though there are portions of it that are not, are not cool. Everything isn't a one drop of, of spoils the well. Right. Necessarily. There's things going on right now, again, with the media that we're engaging with. Like, I shared a little doodle that an artist had done, which is a picture of Judge Dredd, and he's firing his gun up in the air, mm -hmm. and along the arc of the fire, it says, fascism is bad, or yeah. something like that. And then there, underneath it, there's somebody who's just staring with these big, you know, cutesy eyes, mm -hmm. saying, wow, cool cop. Clearly saying the point to Judge Dredd is that fascism is bad. And if you're looking at it thinking Judge Dredd is cool, then you, it's gone over your head. That's part of the failure of irony. Yeah. We've probably mentioned this before, but I feel like this is something that's really become apparent. I don't know, at least to me uh, in the last couple of years. But I feel like personally, I would really start marking it around like Gamergate-ish stuff. Yeah. So that's, you know, 2012, 2013, I think, yeah. kind of when that got rolling. Um, the absolute failure of irony as a as a mode of communication to be like, yeah. I am going to give you the most exaggerated version of this thing in order to call out its flaws. And when you have a segment of the audience that's like, yeah, we like the flaws. <laughs> like, yeah, that's why we're <laughs> here to see that stuff. The, the power that irony has just just disappears as that segment of the population of, of the audience gets more gets gets larger to to the point where it gets irresponsible is my yeah is kind of where i've gotten to where it's like you can't lampoon trump right like there's no way to have an ironic take that isn't just exactly what his supporters want to see it took me a long time to to that like point because like for me the thing that stuck in my head was well i've i've consumed this media and I understand it. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to say that that was the, the defense that was in my brain. Sure. Like, I don't want to say that that was even a true statement, right? Like, uh, because you can often consume media and understand 80% of it. Hmm. But it's that significant 20% that you're not <laughs> understanding. That's uh, like the big shift for me went from being like, well, I can figure it out. So anyone can. Hmm. So I can go ahead and recommend that. But the, like that, that stopped somewhere along the line. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Uh, now, now I have to be careful about who I'm recommending it to. I mean, right. part of what happened also is that my own personal audience for people who hear when I say something mm -hmm. has grown. I'm still developing skills for that, right, I guess is right. what I'm saying. Yeah. But where before, if a friend of mine had the wrong take on Judge Dredd after <laughs> I recommended Judge Dredd, I could argue with them. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a weird spot. And then mm. the irony thing, not only is it not effective, but it doesn't even keep up. Mm -hmm. Like when I read Onion headlines now, I'm just exasperated. Right. By yeah. them. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, nope, you've been saying that. You're right. That's the thing. It's like as or satire, I suppose, is a more accurate word than irony. But, yeah. You know, they're wrapped up together. But yeah, once the actual thing meets the satirical thing. Yes, yeah. the satirical no longer has any power. When Disney starts using their employees in stormtrooper costumes oh to enforce gosh. social distancing, we're done. <laughs> like, there's no more like 
like signifier signified like it's yeah. all just the thing is the thing <laughs> there is nothing but the thing i mean don't get me wrong people should social distance i'm not saying that enforcing social distancing is fascism but there's a lot of fascism out there right now <laughs> yeah i had some dumb tweet that was like there was this strain going around a little bit last week of i can't believe that that this generation that you know was brought up on star wars and and harry potter and and like you know people fighting back against the forces of repression how they're not uh on the right side of this right right i would be more uh sympathetic to that viewpoint if the uh i forget what it's called but like the stormtrooper cosplayers yeah there's like a division number or something if if like people in like stormtrooper and darth vader costumes were not the most visible part of star wars fandom yeah (laughs) it's first of all it's not like those movies are searing indictments of the fascist state like they're adventure movies that happen to have good guys and bad guys they're adventure movies with a nostalgia for war films yeah. that fought nazis like that's <laughs> yeah yeah they were already bleeding the meaning out of it when oh god maybe i shouldn't go into that or it already started muddling that message when the like but when like the the metal bestowal ceremony at the end of a new hope yeah. was echoing lenny riefenstahl <laughs> like nazi propaganda yeah. movies right like for a reason that's a powerful image but like right Sorry to get all film film history nerd on you, but uh, Lenny Riefenstahl, you're up. <laughs> <sighs> so, uh, yeah. So, how are you? <laughs> I'm I'm doing all right. I think uh, we're still doing the social distancing. Mm-hmm. The the stats look uh, on on that whole coronavirus thing. I don't know by the yeah, time yeah, people listen that. to this. They'll be different, but uh, they look promising out this way, mm-hmm. but also trending towards not promising. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, who knows? Yeah, so that's good. Um, I talked to my sister uh, yesterday. I was on the phone with her, and I'm not going to say her name because she was driving and on the phone with me, hands free, <laughs> but she was driving and on the phone with me. Um, she is a essential worker. She does food delivery and suddenly had to get off the phone with me. And I cannot tell you like all of the fearful images that came into my mind as to why that was mm. or what was happening. And it turned out that like it's the the run of the mill reason, which mm. is uh, like a two thousand dollar repair needed to be done to her car. Like, Oof. you know, which really, really sucks. But also in the world of twenty twenty. Sure. That's great. That's yeah. a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So life's been weirdly on edge. I shouldn't say weirdly. Life's been on edge. How how are things out where you are? You're <laughs> more in the thick of it than I am. I mean, we're fine. We technically just went into, like, the next phase of reopening, which seems not great. Yeah. So for Illinois, all that stuff, they're basing it off of aggregate figures, and it is evidence-based. But it's mostly about, like, occupancy rates at hospitals and new infection rates. Right. And so those have been below the thresholds that, so they're like, okay, we can start reopening. And we still have a full, like, all indoor spaces. You have to wear a face mask and stuff like that. But, you know, it's all going to be totally muddled by uh, the last couple of weeks because there yep. are, uh, there's differing numbers depending on who's reporting and exactly what, and exactly what definition they're using for arrest. Yeah. The legal observer 
group, the National Lawyers Guild out here, um, put out a number that said that there's about 1,500 people that have been arrested and, and detained um, in the last week in Illinois. And that is a huge spike in the prison population, which is like one of the biggest hotbeds for coronavirus infection. Yeah. And so not all those people are going to be there forever. Like a lot of, you know, a lot of those are, you know, one day arrests and stuff. But like, um, yeah, it's uh, that sucks. (laughs) Yeah. The measures being taken to protect people from coronavirus in this situation are almost none are almost none yeah uh like that's a thing that i don't see a whole lot of talk about right now um but i do see a whole lot of talk so i don't like i'm it's it's hard to filter noise and signal and whatever Mm. but like i think uh that's going to be one of the really tragic things about it and one of the things that uh when we come out of it there's going to be a lot of finger pointing People yeah. are going to point at the protesters saying that they're responsible for when the protesters are outside. <laughs> wearing masks. Yeah, wearing masks, generally socially distancing. Uh, and it's when they get kettled in, mm-hmm. put in detention right. centers. Tear gassed. Tear gassed, which during a respiratory pandemic. Yeah. It, it's clear who's responsible, but... The narrative is already shaping to blame protesters. Yeah. It sucks. Um, And by it, I mean police brutality. Yeah. So, you know, to be totally clear, here's our two white guy podcast. But Black Lives Matter, police brutality sucks, ACAB. Yeah, I was wondering (laughs) going into this, being who we are, we're not the voice you should be listening to about this. Right. There's definitely other voices you should be listening to. There's books and and you should be reading and, and news reports and and whatnot. Yeah, and if it hasn't crossed your your transom, I'll I'll put it in the in the show notes. But there's a really good one stop, like I don't even know what to do site. Uh, that's the the Black Lives Matter dot card c a r r d dot c o. Yeah. There's a great compilation of uh, petitions, places to donate, and uh, educational resources to educate yourself. Um, yeah. Which I'm finding really helpful for stuff around police abolition because it's something that, like, I kind of vibe with that idea, but I don't really actually know much about what that means past, yeah. you know, friends who are supporters and, and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. But um, I think we're, you know, maybe going to talk about our responses, maybe, but like, you don't need to listen to us talk about Black Lives Matter. Right. Go listen to black people. So right now, as we're recording, it is, what the hell, is it day nine, day ten of the protests? Maybe even more than that. We, we've reached the point where Twitter no longer trends protests. Which I guess is like a one, they only trend the same thing for up for a day. Oh, okay. Anyway, this is something I learned. Uh, so this isn't like something that they're deliberately setting up. Yeah, it's not like a suppression up. thing other than just the algorithm but they yeah they only trend the same hashtag for like 12 or 24 hours or something this is something that the uh, k-pop stan army apparently has been educating people about because they already do a thing where they slightly change their hashtags so that they're continually trending because you can't keep the same one trending for a long period of time so thanks k-pop stans yeah. Oh my God. The yeah. I mean, if you if you're not on Twitter, you may not know what's happening here. But the K-pop phenomena, mm. fans of Korean pop music, I guess yeah. is this is really well out of my element here. So holy, <laughs> educate yourself and don't <laughs> listen to Epi. <laughs> but they have stepped up. Yeah, they're basically uh, 
filling hashtags with like 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 blowing out white nationalist has- hashtags by filling it with like K-pop stuff and yeah. uh, uh, crashing um, snitch lines for the cops uh, by posting videos that overwhelm their servers and stuff like that. So hell yeah, yeah. And I mean, I will be honest with you, my experience with K-pop in the past has been. It's almost been exactly this, where I see something trending on Twitter and it's a name and I'm like, oh, no, why should I know that name or why don't Mm -hmm. I know that name? And I click on it and it's usually about like a sports figure or something like Mm -hmm. that. But all it is is K-pop people Mm -hmm. posting (laughs) about their favorite music using that hashtag. Right. Yeah. So to me, it was like. I, I, I literally, I, I have no reference for any part of any of this. <laughs> and I'm only frustrated because I was curious. Mm-hmm. My curiosity was piqued and it was denied. <laughs> so I'm very happy to see this particular. Yeah. There's a tweet going around from two years ago that was like, okay, so the right wing has the anime fans and the left wing has the furries. The future is going to depend on who gets K-pop first or who gets the <laughs> K-pop stands first. <laughs> <laughs> it was like well, one of the most so. <laughs> prescient tweets or prescient. Yeah. But yeah, uh, there's been a lot of uh, marches here. We had curfew. We had the goddamn declare curfew right before it happens. That was on oh. Saturday. We're like at 830. Uh, the mayor declared a curfew for nine o'clock, which didn't come through people's phones because they did an emergency alert for curfew. Like I didn't get it till after nine o'clock, right? And most yeah. most people didn't. While there were thousands of people downtown with the bridges raised, uh, if you if you don't if you don't know anything about Chicago, uh, but you've seen um, uh, Batman, right? Um, Batman Begins. There's the bit where they want to concentrate all the prisoners on the island and they raise the bridges that is chicago uh ah. <laughs> like that's how chicago works uh downtown has a bunch of bridges or over the, the chicago river anyway so yeah there were just like it's just such like a flagrant like criminalizing dissent tactic yeah. and uh so we had curfews for a couple nights uh, we haven't had had one for a couple nights uh, you'll be surprised to hear that uh, the times when the police do not move in with tear gas and batons, there is generally very little to no property damage along the routes of these marches. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're coming into the weekend. So I know yeah. there, there's a big there's a big protest scheduled for for later today, um, which I think is probably going to be a pretty. Yeah, that'll be one to watch uh, in terms of police response. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of misery coming across all of our screens right mm-hmm. now because what's happening is people can record what the police are doing and uh they're doing the job that the media in the past has failed to do mm-hmm. uh i suspect the media is going to do a little better this time around just because they're being shot and tear gassed as, as yeah as much um i don't want to be like all dismissive of the media but it is it's been frustrating because this is not new None of this is new. What What's new is the technology to record it, you know? Yeah, there's a little bit of frustration with, like, the, like, we're just seeing this for the first time. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, yes. Yeah. And, like, let this radicalize you. That's, like, good. Um, but also, uh, a lot of the movement now, like, the people actually organizing these marches, the Black Lives Matter people, a lot of these bail funds came out as a result of Ferguson, which was in 2014. And those protests, uh, many of those protesters who have been mysteriously murdered, by the way, in the intervening years, 
Uh, and there's this weird, like, sense that people kind of forgot that that happened. And they're like, oh my god, have you, can you believe that it's this bad? And it's like, it's been this bad. Um, I don't know. I don't want to blame, like, I, yeah. It's a little frustrating, but it's also like, let us use this moment to make it clear to as many people as possible what black people and other people of color have been living under since slavery. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of things to reckon with here. And one of them that I've, I've been trying to internalize a bit is just to let let the people who have suffered the most from this uh let them be angry let them you know Mm -hmm. and definitely be angry for them but i can't then turn that into like the a hammer that i use against other people you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. like like if i'm not directly in the line of fire here then my job is to then help people who are i shouldn't say my job your your role perhaps yeah i shouldn't i should i should be helping my friends who are just coming to this Hmm. to not be pushed away by my own personal anger about it because i don't like my what the is my anger i don't have the direct experience with it i just have this you know uh uh red experience from it i you know just Mm -hmm. so it would be really easy for me to be like hey when i was a young idiot going to college for the first time and i first learned about all this you made fun of me (laughs) (laughs) like i can't be that that way because like i am definitely seeing a lot of people friends and family who wouldn't have been aware of this yeah becoming very much aware of this yeah so earlier this week i was very i was pretty down it's just so it's just so grinding just to see how little cops care about yeah. even appearing to there's not even good pr going on right right and then like officials especially democratic officials right yeah like basically doing all they can to to uh if not support police brutality <laughs> make it as easy as possible for them to continue what they're doing yeah um or actively support in the cases of these curfews uh so that's extremely depressing but on the other hand like there are actual um changes happening in places you wouldn't expect as a direct result of seeing all this that seems like it's the first step towards a better future (laughs) um Especially in Minneapolis, right? Uh, where, yeah. like, I forget what the what the school is, if it's a state school or or what. But like, there's a university that uh, is like the biggest employer in in Minneapolis that like terminated their contract with the Minneapolis police. I think their public schools did too. Their public sc- schools did it as well. The public schools in or public schools somewhere in Portland, I think, also uh, severed their ties with their police department. Certainly not as many as should be, and certainly with no guarantee that there's ever going to be any actual justice but cops being arrested and yeah being charged at least with something is such a sea change yeah <laughs> like the fact that four cops have been arrested for murdering a black man for no reason yeah and the fact that that's so different than it's been is like mind-boggling uh people pointed out that look what had to be done to get those four cops arrested Mm -hmm. (laughs) like but it just it does definitely feel like um more so than than ferguson more so Mm -hmm. than in the past like and but again like this is two white guys feels right right at at the remove where i'm not like directly involved you know protesting or organizing or anything 
being able to see some of that stuff happening as a direct result. Yeah. The fact that something seems to be happening at all makes us feel different than the Women's March, than marches against immigration uh, crackdown, like stuff in the past that I've been involved with or aware of, where it's like it happens, maybe some legislation stuff happens, and then things go back to normal or get worse. So I, I grew up in the Midwest, and uh, the fact that that Minneapolis institutions are not only turning away from the police, but also just coming out and saying, like, uh, there's there's a problem with Bob Kroll, the, mm-hmm. the head of the police union, the all the unions were like, they're not part of our union, like the, a police union and a workers union are two different things. Right. Yeah. Um, police unions are not part of the labor movement yeah Um, they share a name but they're not they they're not they don't do the same thing they exploit labor movement laws yeah to to protect bad cops but but to see like establishment the city council like in minneapolis is considering abolishing the police and to Mm -hmm. see that happen in a midwest town is Mm -hmm. really kind of important yeah like they'll never lose the the midwest attitude of like oh well that's just because th- th- that happens all the time. Like if if some like I grew up in Wisconsin. If like if something progressive happens in Madison, mm-hmm. the rest of Wisconsin will go, "Well, that's Madison." <laughs> right. If it happens in Milwaukee, they'll say, "Well, that's Milwaukee," and they'll be super racist saying that. Like that's yeah, that is a really racist, uh, a not so clever way for a Wisconsinite to hide their racism sure, is sure. to you know point to Milwaukee as if, anyways. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so they'll still do it. They'll be like, well, that's Minneapolis because Minneapolis has a university. Of course Mm -hmm. they're liberal, but, uh, it just, it's, it is heartening like to see like establishments starting to take the, the taking concrete steps and, and actually seeing like they're responding, not responding to, oh God, we have to make this go away, but actually responding to the actual concerns. I think that's what feels different. Because in the beginning, you could see everyone saying, okay, let, we want to hear you. Yeah. But then, like, that's a very empty. Like, that's that's the mall Santa. Mm-hmm. Like, tell me what you want for Christmas. He ain't going to deliver. Like, that's <laughs> not his, his job. His job is just to placate the kid. Yeah, I've been thinking about that because there's been that that's been a, a point to talk about is like all these like police commissioners and 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 gov- and, and uh, mayors and stuff having that be the talking point of like we hear your concerns we want to engage in a dialogue right all that stuff and i've been thinking about that in terms of like what the next steps of that are um and kind of in terms of like therapy yeah so you know in therapy that's that's a place to talk in a non-judgmental way and mm-hmm. that idea of like i hear you is an important part of the, the the call and response, right? Like acknowledging what the other person said and then what. And in therapy, a lot of times like, okay, I hear you. What does that mean for you? Right? Like that's the next step. Like yeah. you have you have put this into words. Uh now how can we get the result that you want out of the situation you've just described? Or where does that put you? Where do we go next? There's this like yeah. responsiveness part of it that makes that part of actual development Yeah, that just does not exist in these power structures of like, we yeah. hear you and we're going to do whatever we want anyway, because we don't feel like we have any accountability. So that's something I've been thinking about. Uh, I was just thinking like about the, like that response and it being sort of a cynical political 
thing that politicians do all the time. Like it's, if you, it's the thoughts and prayers of the left. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. We hear you. Uh, and then when you think about like all the pressures that might, if you try to empathize with this politician and all the pressures that are coming from them, and you realize that a lot of those pressures are coming from the police yeah. who clearly have leverage. Uh, if you read the accounts from the city council uh, in Minneapolis, where they talk about how when they want to curb spending on police, the police will stop patrolling their constituency. Mm-hmm. And when they like get phone calls, show up late and tell them, well, if you have a problem, talk to your council person. Mm-hmm. This is a protection racket. It's, mm-hmm. it's very clearly a protection racket. It's not like they're not even being coy about it. Right, right. Uh, or if they are, it's the the thinnest veneer of coyness. But, but then that brings up like, okay, so I'm going to empathize with these, these people. They obviously have a problem. But the, that problem then means that they're not in charge, that the the, the cops are, that they right. don't have control, that your duly elected officials mm-hmm. who are supposed to be in charge of the executive, you know, of, of, of this are not like what, what then? So, yeah. So the question becomes, how do we change the power dynamic? And I think yeah. that's where the call for defunding police comes from, right? Like, yeah. That's where that's where the power comes from. I mentioned earlier about, you know, learning more about police abolition. That doesn't mean. And then we live in a virtuous anarchic state where everyone just is in charge of themselves. Uh, That's not the goal. The goal is how do we address the problems in society that we currently use police to address? Uh, First, how do we how do we adjust our society so that less of those problems occur? Yeah. And then how do we create intervention in the in a nonviolent accountable to community way that does not involve one single armed force for everything from traffic tickets to yeah. murders right and that's i don't have any answers there that's i'm saying i'm trying to get more educated on that right now personally i mean i think that's an important thing okay so when we think about what you and i are doing right now mm-hmm. again well, just to point out the obvious, two white dudes with a podcast, we are such a stereotype. <laughs> with with a podcast that is, The Rockford Files isn't a cop show, but it is a show that fundamentally privileges order. Yeah. And we, there is a cop we like uh, yeah. in the show. He's fake. That's a <laughs> that's a fake character. <laughs> Dennis Becker <Yeah>. isn't real. <laughs> we could point to things like, the, obviously, the... Um, so help me God. And there's the police surveillance one that we haven't done yet. Um, yeah. That's similar. Yeah. And and so it does address that. And also, like, to just kind of, like, directly talk to our audience. My gaming audience, I, I think, my general experience of my gaming audience trends in a way that they're very sympathetic to the Black Lives Matters cause. Mm-hmm. And so at some point there, I'm preaching to the choir, mm-hmm. which, you know, it has to be done. But, um... Uh, but I think here we have a chance to kind of reach maybe a crossover into some audience that may not be exposed to the this sort of stuff yet, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we should not be your authority on this stuff. Defunding the police, police abolition is not a new concept. There are books out there. There are people that have very intelligent people who have thought about it. There's been a lot of work done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just me telling you what my ideas are, are not going to add to that conversation. But alerting you to it maybe might right. help you. Uh, and like to say that this is also not just it's in the spirit, I think, of James Garner, right? Like he marched on Washington. Mm-hmm. He's not alive today. I'm not going to put words into his mouth. I don't know where he would stand on all this. And, you know, 
there are definitely some bits uh like i still love la Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know (laughs) not not super sympathetic towards Mm. the riots um but nonetheless like he was a very caring man sure from what we understand of him this feels like it would be in his wheelhouse Mm -hmm. this would be the kind of thing he would support um what I've noticed online is a lot of people who play cops on television have been donating money to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen this? I have. Yeah. Uh, started by the. I'm gonna find the actor's name Was now it because started by the guy Griffin. Yeah, he's he played Arthur in on the Amazon's uh, version of The Tick, which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of got that ball rolling. He has a movie podcast with someone else that is pretty well well regarded, I think. So he's also kind of a podcast world person. I haven't listened to it, but it's apparently great. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's there's that. Like, there's the what role has cop media played mm-hmm. uh, in? I don't want to say covering up, but like not highlighting or assuaging fears mm-hmm. of this happening. Cause it certainly, they do special episodes and whatnot. Kind of in, in creating the, creating the mental image of the police that is currently falling apart underneath the yeah. witness testimony of all these people who are being brutalized by the police. Right. Yeah. The shards of that picture are still around the edges, right? Um, we kind of know what we think they should be. And then it's just like, here is just rampant evidence of how overfunding, unaccountability to their community, uh, you know, lack of any kind of systemic stops to abuse of power, how, how it all just comes together right in this moment. Right. What I would say, you know, stuff like police abolition, that's a pretty radical position, right? Like, I acknowledge that. Maybe, and if that, if you hear that and you're like, I don't even understand why you would say that, or I don't know what that means. What I would say is maybe give yourself a little bit of space to think about how do we swing the pendulum from this extreme that we're at right now, where there's no accountability and there's so much underinvestment in communities of color and underinvestment in infrastructure in our society that that helps everyone public schools yeah healthcare right like we're in a coronavirus pandemic just looking at these numbers of how much money is diverted is given to police budgets versus everything else in a city. Look at the LA budget where they're yeah. just like, Oh, we're going to try and trim a hundred million dollars. And you're like a hundred million dollars. That sounds like so much money. And then if you look at what they actually allocate in their city budgets, that's like nothing. That's like 5%. I looked that up. It was like, yeah. How many more positive things could we have in our cities and our rural communities are, you know, everywhere yeah. that, you know, has this infrastructure that is currently underfunded, um, has lots of problems attracting, uh, you know, qualified people, doesn't serve their communities as well as they could. If we just like diverted some of what goes to over-militarized, unaccountable police forces. How do we start swinging that pendulum back? And the other end of that pendulum is, like, do we need police at all? I understand that's a that's a big question, but, like, that's the other end. Any big question, you can break that down, right? Yeah. Like, And you can find out where you're comfortable. I Like, even ridiculous things, right? Like, when you think of city you know public works people uh trying to deal with a busted sewer main right Mm -hmm. you have a cop out there directing traffic what if instead of having a cop out there you had somebody whose job it was was to direct traffic (laughs) if you think of all the different jobs that you you give to cops 
and then think about which ones you personally are comfortable giving to, to another service that might be better trained to do that. Right. Who has specific training, doesn't have to carry a gun. Yeah. And think about the ones where you yourself are going to be put in a spot. Like, okay. This is not a hypothetical because I think this has happened to many people where, if, especially if you live in an apartment complex or something like that, you hear neighbors fighting, mm-hmm. right? And it's getting loud. And maybe you even heard something fall. And all of this might just be people being exasperated from quarantine or what. And it could legitimately just be somebody storming off and something falling off a table. Or it could be a case of some sort of domestic abuse. The question you have to ask yourself then is, given the statistics, the cops, when you look at it, they tend not to help the situation. And you increase the odds of somebody in that situation being shot. Mm-hmm. Do you want something else to call? Do you want some other service mm-hmm. that their job is to come in unarmed, to, to de-escalate, to offer the, the help that people need, mm-hmm. even if it's just like an actual legitimate argument and they just need to cool off in two separate places Like, the police aren't going to provide that. They may throw someone in a jail cell, but that's not going to cool someone off. Like, anyways, so the point is, like, on the other end where you have the big, just start thinking about places where you feel comfortable removing police from the equation and replacing them with people that are trained specifically for that situation. Does it make, in your estimation, does it make it a healthier situation? Does it, you know, um, that's all like you'd like, again, yeah, we don't have to ask everyone to be for the complete abolition of the police. We just need to start rethinking what it is we're building a military for, right? Like, cause that's what we're doing. Yeah. So, you know, sorry if that came off as luxury, but I think that's the, that is maybe, maybe one of our roles as white dudes yeah. on the podcast who do think about this stuff. Um, yeah. If you're, if, if you're seeing what's going on and you feel like this isn't right, something needs to change. Mm-hmm. Sit with that feeling and think about what that actually means for you and your community. And I think that's like, that's the start. Yeah. And if you're moved to help donate money, it always helps. Um, find somewhere. Again, I keep saying in your community just because this is happening. There's been protests in every state in the U.S. There's been yeah. protests in uh, multiple countries worldwide in support of, of this stuff. Your local, there is a group in your community, whether that's your city, your state, your uh, uh, affiliation community, your your hobby community, whatever you feel part of. There's a group involved with that that is could actively use some money right now to help get people masks and water and, you know, help with actual like protest support, uh, help out bail funds to help bail out people who are being wrongfully accused of felonies for like getting the beat out of them by cops, uh, uh, community organizations that are working with elected community officials to do things like get the police out of public schools so that schools are no longer a militarized police zone. Times are tough. We all get that. But if you are able to spare some resources, uh, I encourage you to do so. That's all. Yeah. And uh, just, I guess maybe also a plea to empathize with the anger uh, of the black community and and people of color. And and, I mean, we're in Pride Month, too. So uh, Mm -hmm. LGBTQ plus. um, Yeah, I guess that's the other thing. We're going to see a lot of resources poured into making uh, these protesters look like violent thugs. And because hundreds and hundreds of years of history have been behind making our internal image of what a thug looks like match that 
it's going to be hard. Just realize what they're up against, yeah. I guess is what it's saying, what I'm saying. I get what you're saying. We're trying to figure this out as we go along. Right, right. <laughs> Re- report from the front lines. There was, uh, there has been some property damage up in my north side. Uh, I mean, I don't know the demographics, but it's a, you know, we're, it's not a totally white, but it's a pretty white neighborhood. Um, there's been some protests up here. There's been some damage. Uh, they've mostly been chain stores with windows smashed. But yeah. I will say that our doggy daycare that we take our dog to oh, no. did have one of their windows broken uh, after a protest. And you know what? That's fine. <laughs> yeah. that's, if, if that's the price that we have to pay, uh, I'm willing to I'm willing to pay that price. Again, we're talking about little heartening things, but um, to hear some of the uh, store owners in Minneapolis that are like, it's more important to see justice than to, mm-hmm. you know, a smashed window or whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, we could get into the whole uh, how a lot of the this is the good protester as the bad protester uh, that propaganda works. But uh, again, yeah, no, we've it's a little out of our pay grade and we've gone on long <laughs> enough. I think just, you know, stay safe out there. Yeah. Do what you can. If you have a cough, stay inside. Don't forget there's a pandemic. Oof. But, you know, because we do have the privilege to continue doing our kind of day-to-day things uh want to keep you know keep doing the podcast <laughs> um it is interesting to look at how much the world has changed since we first started doing this podcast okay interesting or exhausting yeah i don't know <laughs> there should be a portmanteau insoxing I don't know. Someone smarter than me needs to figure that out. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, like the joke has been since, well, I mean, obviously since 2016, the joke has been about how fast the year has been going. This is still, but it really does mm. like this year has ramped up so fast. Yeah. Was it like, it's been, it's been 20 years since yesterday or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> everything feels very long ago and also very fast. In this household, we sometimes say, we don't know what tomorrow year will bring. <laughs> Well, maybe that's a good uh, note to end on for this. Um, hopefully, the next year that tomorrow brings will have more, some more, more points of hope to it than, than yeah, than the last, <laughs> the yesterday year, than the yesterday year.